Greetings to all of God's people. This is Mordecai Joseph. We are now in Lesson 78. And last time we were in the book of Luke, chapter 19. Let's continue now to uh, maintain a continuity again from verse uh, 43, where Christ is speaking to his own disciples. And he tells them, For the days will come upon you, when your enemies will build an embankment around you, speaking to his own church, his own people, his own nation, his own wife, that is, the representatives of them that were in the land at the time, yet that was applicable to uh, all of them, and they will surround you and close you in on every side, and level you and your children within you to the ground, and they will not leave in you one stone upon another, because you did not know the time of your visitation. In other words, he is the God of Israel coming to his own wife, his own people, his own nation to bring them deliverance, to atone for their sins, to restore them to himself. And of course, that was not the time when he was going to establish the kingdom. That was not the time. That was just the beginning of it, beginning of the process. And had they followed him, they could have been the witnesses who would, who was, you know, they were supposed to be to begin with, who would go to, the, to all the rest of the nation of Israel to bring them back to his own people. And then, once that is established, to go to all the world. Just like they had an opportunity when he when he married them in Sinai to begin that process. Well, this is not what happened, and unfortunately at this point, the, the leaders reject their God, their Savior, their Maker, as they've done oftentimes before that, and rebelled against him, and they lead the people after them. And so we read in verse 45, Then he went into the temple and began to drive out those who bought and sold in it, saying to them, It is written, My house. See, that was his house, that was his people, his wife. My house is a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. You commercialized it. And to this very day, that, uh, all those people uh, all around the earth who call themselves people of God, who call themselves uh, people of the true church, who call themselves people of uh, you know, the children of, of, uh, of the mother, of the wife. And you've got all those churches all around the earth. Some are Catholic, some are Protestants, some are this, some are that. And some say, well, we came out of it and we are the people of God. In either case, unfortunately, there is this problem everywhere. Where the church becomes a business, a den of thieves, where people make money on it. And that's uh, their, uh, unfortunately, their ultimate purpose for the church, for many, not everybody. There are still innocent people out there and decent people and righteous people. But there is too much of that as it was in the temple. Well, you go to services, uh, and one of the main messages that you hear there is about money. Give us more money. And so, at the time, it was literally where there was a market inside the temple, selling uh, sacrifices and all kinds of needs for the temple itself. Nowadays, they do it in a different way. But in either case, many of God's people go to services to pray to God, and unfortunately, the main thing that they see there, too often, in some places it's worse than others, they see the main emphasis on money. Oh, in the name of doing the work, yes, but it's only money, 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 wherever you go. Things have not changed since that time. Well, anyway, he was teaching then in verse 47, he was teaching daily in the temple, but the chief priests, notice that, the chief priests, the scribes, and the leaders of the people sought to destroy him. He doesn't say the people were seeking to do that. Uh, the people are, you know, they're... Uh, of the sheep that generally follow the, the, the leader if it is God they follow him 
But if they, their leaders lead them astray, they oftentimes unfortunately follow them, thinking that they are truly servants of God. And it was not the people that rejected Jesus Christ, it was the leaders, and they are the ones that poisoned the minds of many. But even then, an awful lot of people followed Jesus Christ, in spite of what the leaders were saying or thinking about him. And so we see in verse 48, Yet in spite of that, the leadership were not able to do anything for all the people were very attentive to hear him. You see, the wife, just like today, the wife is attentive to hear him, but the leaders, unfortunately, lead them astray in the wrong direction because they want the power to themselves, the money to themselves, the office to themselves, the power and authority to themselves. Now, things have not changed in Israel since that time. Still the same story. And so we continue now in uh, we continue now in uh, chapter 22 where we read the story of the Passover, the last Passover that the God of Israel had with his own wife. Of course, at this time represented only by the twelve. Nevertheless, that's his own wife. What a few or many, that's his own people, his own nation, his own wife. Then came the day of unleavened bread in verse 7, chapter 22, when the Passover must be killed. Because the Passover was killed on the first day of unleavened bread. And then it says he sent Peter and John saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat. Passover is something you eat. And find a little piece of bread is not something that you eat. You know, just take a nibble out of it and this is what it became later on. When the, when the false church took over everything and perverted everything and, and uh, taught something else totally different. And to this very day people are following this custom. They didn't get it from uh, from God. They didn't get it from his disciples or prophets. They didn't get it from the so-called New Testament. They got it from the, uh, the false church. And so to this day, you see that custom. But here we are reading very plainly. And so did the church continue for centuries after that as they were, were well known. Of course, they were regarded as heretics. But the people that followed God, which were called the Nazarenes, they were reported off by so-called church historians as being people who followed the religion of Moses that where they were just the same as in the Jewish community in everything with the exception that they believed in Christ and they did everything just like they did and we do know how the Jews were doing things we're not talking about the do's and don'ts that had nothing to do with God we're talking about the main basic teachings of the Torah so they have to learn to separate one from the other to understand what the scripture is talking about. Anyway, he's told them to go and prepare the Passover, and they went to prepare the Passover, and they ate. And if we were to follow Christ's example, well, this is what he did the last Passover. Why aren't we doing it to this very day? And verse 9, So they say to him, Where do you want us to prepare? And he said to them, Behold, when you have entered the city, a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water, follow him, into the house which he enters, then you shall say to the master of the house, the teacher says to you, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover? Not eat, you know, a tiny little piece of bread, but eat the Passover. This is what the church was doing, eating the Passover. There was no change there. Somebody says, well, Christ changed that. Christ didn't change anything. Christ doesn't change. He's still the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he read it very plainly when he brings back his wife to the land. 
when the temple is established, all of Israel are going to come to the temple, they're going to bring the Passover, and they're going to kill the Passover, and they're going to eat the Passover, and none of them is going to keep this Catholic ceremony, you know, which we call today the Lord's Passover today, or uh, the Mass, or whatever name, you know, different uh, groups give it. You know, a little piece of bread, a little, you know, a tiny little glass of wine, something they never got from the Bible, but from the one that became known as the church. This is not what you see here. Uh, anyway, it says, verse 11, Then you shall say to the master of the house, The teacher says to you, Where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? Then he will show you a large furnished upper room there. Make ready. That's exactly what they did. They found the room and they prepared the Passover. And the Passover was the name, the generic name for the lamb itself, which was eating on the first day of unleavened bread. And that's what the scriptures tell us here very plainly. Just like it always was. Just like to this very day, the Jewish community still keeps it, just like they did before that since Egypt, just like they will do in the millennium under the reign of their God, their Savior, their ruler, their, you know, the Messiah, Jesus Christ. There has never been any change, because this is what Moses taught, and this is what God told Moses to teach, and he told him, you're going to do this service for all of your generations. As long as there are generations of Israel, you're going to continue to do it. So he never changed anything, regardless of what man says in their misinformation. And so this is what they did. And so in verse 14 we read, When the hour had come, he sat down, and the twelve apostles with him. So, in essence, what you see here, you see the God of Israel sitting with a wife, with Israel. Not any other foreign entity. But it's still the story of Israel from the beginning until the end. And then he said to them in verse 15, With fervent desire I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God, speaking about the kingdom that is going to bring as he comes himself with the holy angels, and is going to gather all the children of Israel, the dispersed of Israel from all corners of the earth. He's going to purge them and cleanse them, atone for their sins, and as we read earlier, and the sins of Judah and Jerusalem and Israel, both, both the houses of Israel are going to be searched but will not be found, because... He's going to forgive all the sins, and he's going to marry Israel. And as you read very plainly in the last eight chapters of Ezekiel, and ref uh, references to that throughout all the prophets, and as Moses told them, that when they are in tribulation, they are going to see God, and they are going to return and keep this book of the law that he gave them. And he says, all the statutes and judgments and precepts that I gave you, you're going to keep them again. There's no new religion. It's one story, one church, one wife, one people, one God. This is what it means, one doctrine, one Torah. And Christ made it very plain. Don't think that I came to change anything from this Torah until heaven and earth shall pass. Not one tiny little aspect of it is going to pass away. And so this is what he's talking about. When he brings back Israel, that's what you read in Ezekiel. They come back, the temple is rebuilt. The offerings and sacrifices are there again. They kill the Passover. All of Israel will come before him and kill the Passover. It is something that is between him and his wife. And this is what he's talking about. So he's not going to eat it until this is fulfilled in the kingdom. When he comes back and the story will continue.
And so then he took the cup in verse 17 and gave thanks, and he said, this is, take this and divide it among yourself. And that's the way it was. And that's the way it is still done if you go to a Jewish home on the, on the, the night that is called the Seder, which is the Passover night. This is exactly what they do. First, you know, they take the cup, the main cup, and the Father, after giving thanks for it, blessing, and uh, blesses God, then he passes it around the table, and everybody drinks from it. There has never been any change in that, except in the counterfeit church, and we follow their example instead of the example of Jesus Christ himself, and that of his people to this very day, who still maintain at least a measure of understanding with all the confusion that is there along at the same time, unfortunately. And this is what he's telling them. You take that and you divide it among yourself. You share it because this is what makes you one. You eat of the same and you drink of the same. And that makes you one instead of divided. Each one gets his own. And verse 18, For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. You see? And that's the kingdom that the, the disciples ate about. Last question they had on their mind. Book of Acts, chapter 1 and verse 6, as we mentioned that several times before that. They knew all about this kingdom of Israel. They knew about what the prophet said. They knew exactly what Ezekiel was writing about, that God gave him. It's not Ezekiel writing it. It's, it's God gave him the, this information. Ezekiel didn't invent it. And God is speaking in person in all those uh, chapters of Ezekiel, and especially in the last eight uh, chapters. Every single word that is there is spoken by God. And this is what he tells them. You're all going to come back here, and you, the priest will be here, and you're going to offer me the Passover. And that's exactly what he's talking about. And people that have no background don't understand what they're reading. And they came up with a new theology, unfortunately. That's where we're mixed up in the church. We don't even know when the Passover is. We don't even know how to keep it. Because we follow the theology of the false church, and it's so deeply inside us that we don't even realize, uh, even though we, we can read it with our own eyes, it doesn't sink in that nothing has ever changed. It's the same religion. the same Torah. And so that's what he's telling them. I'm going to drink it again. When the God of Israel will return, he's going to dwell in the temple in Zion, and all the priests of God will be around, and Israel will come before him, and he's going to eat the Passover with them. And he's going to drink wine with them. And he's going to dwell in their midst. It's not a very complicated message. That was good news which turned into something else named in the in the world of the counterfeit uh, were church as Christianity so the thing is a Christian religion now obviously they're going to change everything if it is a Christian religion since it is a different one and so in verse 19 he took the bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying this is my body which is given for you who is you? children of Israel who are the disciples? Children of Israel. Who was a church for quite a while? All children of Israel. And then gradually later on he began to add some of the nations, but only a small number of them, minority of them. They weren't the majority. And to this very day, when you look around, as I mentioned before, the majority of the people who are known as the people of God today are all children of Israel. Nothing has changed. We forget that. Even though people deny who they are, Nevertheless, whenever God comes to his people, if they have been in ignorance and blindness, he opens their eyes to see who they really are, that they are the children of Israel. Then you understand the message and the whole plan of salvation as it was meant to be. And so this is what he's saying. 
This is my body, which is given for you. He came to his own, to atone for his, uh, the sins of his own people. And that's what Isaiah was saying in Isaiah 53. He died for our iniquities. He was bruised for our transgressions. And all of our transgressions and sins were placed upon him. He's not talking about the entirety of the world at that point. He's talking specific about his own people because it is his own people that he called out of the entirety of the earth. The only chosen family brought them to Sinai. The whole world wasn't there. The whole world knows nothing about it. But the whole world is going to be called later on through Israel. And yes, he died for the sins of humanity because all of them have sinned. But the emphasis of the whole message is Israel. And then through them, the children that will come of all the nations of the earth. And so that's what he's telling them. This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, he also took the cup of the supper, saying, This cup is the, is the new covenant in my blood. And what covenant was he talking about? Well, he made it very plain what covenant he's talking about. The new covenant, which is going to ratify to sign, as he did in Mount Sinai, is going to do it again with his own wife Israel. And he's going to make that new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. And that, in essence, would also confuse the disciples a little bit and the thought that he was coming in their day to the house of Israel to bring them deliverance. And that's why they ask him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? I didn't say to the world, even though he's going to reign over the whole earth, you see, the emphasis is always Israel. Because it is through Israel, only when Israel is delivered, then the whole earth can come and follow. Because they are to be the light of the nations of the earth. And so this is what he's telling them. This is the blood of them of the new covenant. This is not the beginning of a new church, a new entity, a new teaching, a new testament, so to speak, or a new testament church. Something that became totally warped and perverted in so many ways that people today, when they go back to, to this uh, teaching, so they're all mixed up because they're reading them with the, eye, with the eyeglasses of the false church. And you get mixed up when you do it that way. You have to begin reading it from Genesis 1-1 and then proceed to this point. Then you understand what you're reading, not the other way around. And the very fact that people today, an awful lot, unfortunately, who should know better, when you come and bring them the truth of God from the beginning until the end, it's the way. We don't want to hear about the past. You know, just tell us about the New Testament. We don't want to hear about the law, about the Torah. You know, because that's another religion. And in that, they're admitting that they're members of another religion. You see? In other words, they're admitting that they're naked and blind and wretched and poor and miserable and they think that they're rich. There is no other religion. There is only one religion. There is only one God. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And this is Jesus Christ, the God of Israel. There is no change there. There is no new law. There is no destruction of the Torah. And when people have contempt for it, they basically reveal who they are. You cannot be of God and have contempt for his law, for his Torah, for his mind, for his nature and character. That is said, unless you keep it, you are not going to be in the kingdom. But those who will do it and teach it are to be the great ones in the kingdom of God. And so the message is very plain. And so this is what he told them. This is the blood of the covenant. That is going to make with the house of Israel the house of Judah. And so they understood it. They had no problem understanding that. It was not something strange to them. Let's continue now 
with uh, verse 24. He's speaking again to the disciples. When you, when, you, when you think about that, when you speak to the disciples, these are members of Israel, children of Israel. So he's speaking to the wife, in essence. Even though the marriage hasn't taken place, but just like biblically speaking, when a person is engaged to a woman, she's already called his wife and he's already called her husband. And so in that sense, Israel is already his wife. That's why he tells them through Jeremiah, even though he sent them into captivity, speaking about the, the northern house of Israel, because he knew that he's going to bring them back. He said, return unto me, for I am married to you. So they have to see it from God's point of view and understand it, what he's talking about. And then the marriage ceremony itself is coming at his sky, uh, you know, the time when he comes back to his own wife and makes a covenant with the entirety of the house of Israel and Judah when he brings them back. And that's speaking only about the remnant that will be left from the nations of Israel. And then, gradually, throughout the millennium, they are going to be, as they are born, become members of that marriage. And then when he resurrects the entirety of the house of Israel, wherever lived, from the days of Jacob, you know, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, well, that, that comes from the first resurrection. But those who came from Jacob in the second resurrection, they're going to be members of that marriage too. And the covenant will be renewed with them, just like with the second generation that came out of Egypt, as Moses in the book of Deuteronomy made that covenant again with them. Second generation, and many of them were not at Sinai. And so there was a renewal of the covenant, and as a matter of fact, when you read through the prophets, you see a renewal of the covenant happening several times. Whenever Israel went astray, and then God brought them back, and then he brought them into the covenant. And so we must understand it from that point of view. With the background and the context, then everything becomes clear. And so now they are discussing a different issue during the Passover. So you can see that it was a lively evening, not as it became. And unfortunately, we've experienced a, a, a somber, almost like a funeral, a type of uh, service for many years of the Passover, which was so different from the the way it always was and the way it still is in the Jewish community and the way it was on the Last Supper. It was a very lively evening. A lot of discussion and even arguments and debate. Who is the greatest? Verse 23, then they began to question among themselves which of them it was who would do this. Well, this is speaking about the betrayal. And then verse 24, now there was also a dispute among them. You see, it was a very lively evening wasn't what we made it to be because we, you know, we had our concepts and, and understanding of the Passover from the Catholic Church, from the counterfeit church, not from the teachings of God. And so we, we invented a ceremony that was anything but what the Passover was all about. And the atmosphere of it was a morbid one. We all came with long faces, you know, participated in that ceremony and people were even afraid to raise up their eyes and greet their brethren cheerfully. Anyway, in verse 24 we read, Now, there was also a dispute among them as to which of them should be considered the greatest. Imagine that. And uh, the other uh, writers didn't mention that. That is Matthew, Mark, and John. But here we find this. And in this case also we find something that we don't find uh, in other places. You know, the, the description of this argument. And then in John was the only one where we find a description of what God did, what Jesus Christ did, to show them the attitude they should have had, and that is the washing of the feet, which happened only, you see, that is, was described only in the book of John. 
In other words, until the end of the century, the church was not being taught, or being, uh, at least we don't have a record of that, of the foot washing, because even uh, Paul himself was not even mentioning that. It doesn't mean that it wasn't being taught, it just means it wasn't recorded. But that did not uh, make it as a, you know, Luke himself was very meticulous in writing all the details. He didn't make any point to even mention it. Because that was not a part of the, of the Passover service. It was something that Christ told, told them in terms of the foot washing that you should have this attitude. Always do it. Not once a year. You don't have, you know, the attitude of humility once a year. That's something you do every time you have guests coming over. And yet, as time went by and uh, members of uh, other religions became part of the circle of the church, which was anything but the church, uh, they gave it a totally different meaning to what it was meant to be. And so to this very day we have this foot washing ceremony thinking that this is the one time a year to do, instead of realizing what Christ was talking about. It's an attitude you must always have at all times. It's not a memorial, it's not a part of the memorial of the, of the bread and wine. Anyway, the kings of the nations, once you know they were discussing this matter of who is the greatest, this is what Christ told them, the kings of the nations, or the Gentiles, that is, exercise lordship over them. And how many of us have experienced that supposedly within the church? You know, we've had kings of Gentiles, so to speak, rule over us. In other words, that was the attitude, unfortunately, on the part of many, not all. There were some nice ones out there, genuine ones. Uh, but unfortunately there were too many who were like the kings of the Gentiles who exercised lordship over the people of God and this is what he says that's the way they act and those who exercise authority you know some people were just too many were just obsessed with authority that's all they talked about whatever they talked about uh, the office of the apostle that was the emphasis authority you know what God is talking about here so he says and those who exercise authority over them are called benefactors. So people worship them. Unfortunately, there are people in our midst who are worshiping those kind of people. But it says, but not so among you. You see the difference? So if you see some people act in that manner, as he's describing here the, the rulers of the Gentiles, you know you're talking about a Gentile church. That's not the church of God, people of Israel. That's not the way it is there. That's why you have democracies among the nations of Israel, because they don't like this kind of authority, dictatorial authority. They have never done that, and the heritage never taught them that, even though now and then they had dictators. But when they could, they threw them off. Verse 26, he says, but not so among you. On the contrary, he who is greatest among you, let him be as a younger, as a younger. And he who governs as he who serves. These are the teachings that God gave Israel from the beginning of time. That's what he told them. Look, when you have a king, you know, you want to have a king. Make sure that that king, you read it in Deuteronomy 17, writes the book of the law. Why? You see, he's supposed to write the book of the law, he says, and meditate on it day and night so that he would not bring you back into Egypt. So he would not increase himself and all money. You know, lots of money and horses and all that, armies, power, authority, you know, like the rulers of the Gentiles. And so that his heart would not be lifted up above his brethren, not subjects. You see? And then 
This is where the attitude came from. Later on, well, you know, we are the clergy, you are the laymen. What do you mean laymen? What do you, you know, where do you invent this terminology from? It's not from God. This is the Gentile concept. And yet we love that concept in our midst for many years. And we practiced it. Because we had the same mind, unfortunately. Not the mind of God. And some people still love that kind of authority. That kind of government. And so he tells them. That's the way you should be. Because that's the very law that he gave to Moses. That's the way you should be treating one another. In humbleness and meekness and humility. Verse 27. For who... The one who is greater, he who sits at the table, or he who serves. In other words, he tells him, whom do you think is the greater one? Is it not he who sits at the table? Yet I am among you as one who serves. See the difference? And so whenever you see a congregation, a group, a people, that are acting just opposite, you know they are not of God. At least not in this area, maybe in other areas, but not in this area. But you are those who have continued with me in my trials. And so I bestow upon you a kingdom, just as my father bestowed one upon me. What does it mean I bestow upon you a kingdom as my father bestowed upon me? He's talking about rulership. You see, in English, you know, when you come to the word king, you know, you don't really understand what it means, because, well, what is king? You know, one one is uh, ruling over all. Well, in Hebrew, it's just very plain. A king is a ruler. That's all it means. And a kingdom is rulership. So it's bestowing upon them a rulership. And we're going to be kings and priests, we're going to be rulers. And so he said, I'm bestowing upon you a rulership just like as my father gave me a rulership. And it is that rule of God that they always ask about. When are you going to restore that rulership of God over us? We dwell in our midst like in the days of old. That's what they said. When are you going to restore that kingdom, you know, that we used to have when we brought us out of Egypt and you were our king? You were in our midst. And you went to battle, you walked in our midst. You went into the camp, you know, and you walked in the, in the midst of the children of Israel. That's why I told them, you know, there are certain things you cannot do when you go to battle. You know, if you need to go to the bathroom, you go outside, because I walk in the midst of the camp, and if I come across uh, something that you did there, uh, that you didn't bury, I'm, you know, I said, I'm, gonna, I'm taking off. I'm going to stick around, because that's unholy. So the whole camp had to be holy. So this is the kingdom he's talking about, the rulership, his own rulership. And that's why I told the disciples and people don't understand it. Look, if I'm the one who's performing all these miracles and casting down our demons, therefore the, the kingdom is among, is among you. That's what it means. The rulership. Because I'm the ruler. You see? I'm among you. And that kingdom should be among us today and has, should have been all, all the time. Either personally or as a group. If Christ is ruling in our midst, we would behave like he does. And unfortunately, we didn't see that kind of a rule among the leaders that did not express the kingdom of God. Yeah, they like to be called, you know, the government of God. They were anything but that. At least many of them. And so this is what he's saying to them. As the Father bestowed a rulership among, uh, upon me, so I'm giving it to you. That you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom. And that's exactly what is going to happen. As a seat on the uh, this is what he says in verse 30. Let's continue that. That you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Why Israel? Because Israel is the church, the only church, the only true church. There has never been any other one except the false one. 
There have always been two churches from the beginning of time, the true one and the false one. You're either a member of the true church, which is Israel, or you're a member of the false church. There's nothing in between. That is God is, is concerned. And that's the simplicity of the message. And so in the kingdom, he said, when I come back and I rule over the house of Jacob, you're going to be over the tribes, tribes of Israel, and you're going to rule them with the same kind of rule that I taught you. And every single one of us, if we're going to be in that rulership, in that kingdom, members of that kingdom, in other words, members of the ruling body of Christ over all the, the earth, that's what Israel is destined to be, the ruler of all nations of the earth, because they're members of the body of Christ, of the wife of God, that's what it means. His body is his wife and he's the head of it. We're going to be this kind of rulers, not rulers of the Gentiles. They've had enough of that. That's how we bring them deliverance and light and knowledge and understanding. And so he makes it very plain. And when you go through the entirety of the writings of the four uh, books, as they're called the Gospels, uh, which means, you know, the good news, well, the Gospels were given, obviously, by the Catholic Church. This is a terminology that came from there. It didn't come from the, the Apostles. And so forth. Anyways, you read all the writings of the disciples, you see the entirety of the picture. They're very plain, but without a context and a background, you really don't understand it. Only with it, you do understand it very clearly and very plainly. All stories are that of Israel, being the wife of God, the body of Christ, who are going to bring light to the nations of the earth. And the twelve disciples were destined to rule not over this so-called conglomerate nations and peoples all form the church. No, they're going to rule only over the house of Israel because that's the true church. And the house of Israel in its entirety is going to rule over the entirety of the whole world. And rulership is not in the sense of exercise dominion authority over their faith, but leading them into the light, into the truth, into righteousness. And they're going to have their own rulers, you know, to care for their own needs on a daily basis. That's what he's talking about here. And what he's talking about ruling the twelve tribes of Israel, he's talking about them ruling over the, the, the Edah of Israel. You see, the Edah, that is the body of witnesses of Israel. And by the way, you know, that word, uh, the first time it appears, it was not uh, necessarily, in, uh, I mentioned that earlier, uh, when it came to the children of Israel as a nation, as a whole, it appeared three times in chapter 12 of Exodus. Uh, once he gave them the Passover in the same context. But the first one that actually mentioned that word was Abraham himself. And uh, you see it in, uh, in the book of Genesis. When he offered, when he brought his uh, sacrifice, and uh, the king of the Philistines was there, Abimelech. Remember the story, how the name of Beersheba came, when he made a a covenant with him. That was in uh, Genesis 21, I believe, somewhere at the end. And he asked him, the king, you know, what are those seven sheep all about? He says, well, these seven are here as a witness. Eda. You know, he used the, the feminine form of it. And that's what God used later on for his own people. You are Eda. You are body of witnesses. Anyway, let's continue that to uh, chapter 23 and verse 27 where we continue to read the story. 
And here we read, And a great multitude of the people followed him, and women who mourned and lamented him. That's speaking about the time when he was marching toward the cross. And verse 28, But Jesus turning to them said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. And you see, obviously, they were not only necessarily uh, residents of Jerusalem. They came from all over the nation and from other countries also to keep the Passover. But he's using Jerusalem as a symbol of the nation. Not only of Judah, but in its entirety, all the nations of Israel, all the tribes of Israel, ultimately speaking. And so for them, in specific, there was going to be a disaster for the people who lived in that area, the people of Judah. It was not going to affect the children of uh, Judah in Rome and Arabia and other places. It was going to affect those who were in Judea. But ultimately speaking, he's talking also about the future. Because what we are going to read here is made very plain. He's talking about the future when the entirety of the nation of Israel, who are symbolized by Jerusalem, are going to suffer. And that's how God is going to bring them back to himself and to atone for them and to marry them. And so this is what he's telling them at that specific point. In other words, when you read the Bible, you have to understand it from the point of view of God, not from the point of view of, uh, of man, the way we look at it. But look at the entirety of the picture, and that's how he refers to it oftentimes, even though he picks on a specific moment at a specific time, and yet he uses it to depict an entirety of his story. And so he tells them, but Jesus, turning to them, said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For indeed the days are coming in which they will say, Blessed are the barren wounds that never bore and breath which never nursed. Verse 30, Then they will again, they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us. So now he's speaking about the future. And you read in Revelation chapter 6, verses 16 and 17. A time when, when the Messiah, when the Savior, when the God of Israel returns to judge all the nations of the earth. And at the same time also Israel is going to be affected by it. And this is what people are going to see all around the earth. But here in specific is talking to his own people. And many of them unfortunately are, are rebels. And many of them uh, have contempt for the, for the fact that they are children of Israel. And if you bring this knowledge to them, they hate it. They'll turn against you. And so much more so if you bring them the knowledge of the truth and its purity. They will hate it even more so because they've been taught by the false church all this time to believe that they were members of the true church. And they're not about to come under that so-called Jewish religion. Verse 30. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. So specifically talking about his own people who are going to make those statements. And yet when you go to Revelation, you get the impression if you don't have the knowledge or the background, the context, that it's speaking about, you know, people out there, uh, not Israelites. But he's talking, he's talking about, he's speaking about his own people making these statements. Because they too are going to be uh, going through the tribulation until they learn their lesson and turn away from their idols and the false religion that they were a part of, which they thought was a true religion, and come back to their heritage and to their God and to their Messiah. So this is what he tells them. Fall on us and to the hills cover us, for if they do these things in the green wood, what will be done in the dry? Uh, which is, poetically speaking, as the Bible oftentimes uses that, that, you know, when things are not that bad, this is what's going to happen. Imagine when things, in other words, as we say, you know, when all hell breaks loose, you know, as a vernacular goes. So imagine how bad things are going to be in the future. 
And so he's warning his own people, his own wife, his own church. It's specific at that point about the trouble that is coming upon them in 70 AD, but in its ultimate uh, fulfillment about the entirety of the house of Israel who is going to go through the trouble of Jacob and also during the day of the Lord, you know, for the many of them who are still rebels, they too are going to be punished. You know, the plagues of Babylon, if they do not come out of it, are going to be partakers of the plagues of Babylon specific. And that's what he's talking about. The entirety of the story, he's speaking about 2,000 years of history. And those who do not have the background, they don't understand it. They think he's talking only about 70 AD to only specific group of people, the Jews. No, he's talking about the entirety of the wife, his wife, Israel, the 12 tribes, all the way to the end of the age, so to speak, until it's coming. Let's go now to 24 and verse 13, where we continue to read. Now behold, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, that's speaking about after the resurrection of Jesus Christ and two of his disciples, we're going out of Jerusalem and going back to, you know, back home. Uh, and that's a city in Maus, or Maus, uh, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they walked, that is, they talked together of all things which had happened. In other words, by the crucifixion, the Passover, and all the events around it. So it was while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. In other words, he obviously did not appear in the same form that they had known him before that. He looked different to them. And so their eyes could not perceive him. And uh, people have all kinds of speculations what it meant. Anyway, uh, we're not going to deal with that now. That's not the point. And he said to them, what kind of, con- of conversation? Well, you know, what are you talking about? So he said, what kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? Verse 18, then the one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? In other words, everybody in Jerusalem knows that, and you're the only one who doesn't know it. And have you not known the things which happen there in these days? And then we read in verse 19, the reply of Jesus Christ, and he said to them, What things? So they said to him, The things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, speaking by the people of Israel, verse 20, and how the chief priests and our rulers, not the people, but the leaders, delivered him to be condemned to death and crucify him. And verse 21, but we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, beside all this, today is the third day since these things happened. And they made it very plain. That was the understanding of the, the, the disciples of Jesus Christ. You see? These two were disciples of Jesus Christ. And all the disciples of Jesus Christ heard him give only that message, that consistent message, that he was going to bring the kingdom to Israel, redemption to Israel, consolation to Israel, atonement for Israel. And this is what they are talking about. And so they hoped that it would happen in their day, just like the disciples asked, Lord, will you restore the kingdom at this time now to Israel. And so the, play, the, the message was very consistent and plain from the beginning until the end, from Moses. And there was never any change. And the disciples never understood it differently and certainly never preached it differently. They never thought there is a new church coming on the scene, a totally different, an entity that is separate, that is made of all the nations of the earth. 
Well, there is no difference be- between Jews and Gen- Gentiles. In other words, all the statements were misunderstood because of lack of context and background. And so as we continue, we're going to see it more properly, as I think we've seen already plenty of it, to know what they are talking about. And so the, uh, the understanding here was very plain. It is constantly to Israel. And so Jesus Christ replies, and uh, let's continue here, in verse 25, Then he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. You see, the prophets were the foundation of this new phase of the spiritual Israel, where God was going to give his spirit to his people, beginning with the very few, and then continually a trickle here and, you know, a few here and few there, until the end of time when he comes back and he pours his spirit upon all flesh, speaking about all of Israel. And so he said, you haven't realized what the prophets have said, all about it. And some people lost that understanding. They think that the prophets of Israel are not the prophets of the New Testament church because they, they believe in the Catholic concept of the church, a separate entity. And yet, there is no such a thing as a separate entity. It's one church. And the prophets from Moses, including Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all those who came before that, were all the foundation of the same church. One church, the church of Israel. And so it says, verse 26, Ought not the Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One, to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory and beginning at Moses and all the prophets he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself what we you know what we would he be able to explain to them throughout his ministry had there not been Moses and the prophets who were the foundation of all that he taught because he is the one that spoke to them all those things laying down the foundation of the church from the beginning until the end and some people forgot that. And so he made it very plain. That's what he's talking about. And so we continue in verse 34. Then he said to them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you. Not something new, not something else. That all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. Not in the Old Testament terminology that came later on. Anyway, we're going to stop at this point, and this is Mordecai Joseph saying greetings to all of God's people. Until next time. The preceding message was taken from the World Wide Website at address www.biblestudy.org. This site is sponsored by Barnabas Ministries. Bible Study. You have questions? The Bible has answers.